Heavenly Father, the world tells us that's not true. <laughs> that you are not all we need. Jesus is not all we need. The Holy Spirit's not all we need. But Lord, it is true. And we praise you that in you are all the treasures beyond our imagination. And that in you are true riches. In you is strength and hope and peace. And Lord, we come in this season of thanksgiving. It is a season of great challenge in many ways. But we come in the midst of the challenges that we are experiencing personally in our nation, in our culture, and we come and confess that you are all we need. That if God be for us, who can stand against us? Oh Lord, we thank you that never do you forsake your own. That you abide with us forever. And Lord, we thank you by great confidence and faith, knowing you have brought us into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Lord, we pray that in this season, knowing that Jesus is all that we need, that we will give our all for him. And Lord, you will fill us with faith and faithfulness. And Lord, we pray, we pray for those of our congregation or fellowship that are experiencing the hardships with COVID. We pray for those that are sick, for their family members, those who are quarantined, not able to be about. And we just ask for your grace and mercy. For those who are bereaved because of this, we pray for your grace. And Lord, we ask in your name that quickly uh, this scourge might pass. Lord, we pray for your mercy. And we pray, Lord, yes, for a vaccine. We pray for that. And we ask that you will speed all those that are serving in that area. Lord, we want to pray this morning for all the caregivers. These heroes, Lord, that are ministering day and night to those that are sick. We pray that you'll strengthen and encourage them. We pray for those that are serving in capacities where they are on the front lines. And we pray that you will encourage them greatly. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you'll be with our leaders. We pray for our president today. And we pray that strength for him. We pray for grace. We pray, oh Lord, that you will minister in his heart. We pray for the president-elect. And we ask, Lord God, for his help. Give him wisdom. We pray, Lord, for humility. And we ask for peace in whatever may come. Oh, Lord, let there be peace. And may we be instruments of your peace, oh, God. Lord God, we ask now that you might truly bring us into your heart now. Draw us close, Lord. May we worship you. May we know the joy that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as we continue now in this time that you will send out your light and your truth. That you will lighten 
the path. You'll, you'll enlighten people to their need to, of Jesus. And Lord, help us to be people of truth. Oh Lord, help us apply it to our own hearts and lives. May we speak it in love. Be honored and glorified in this time, we ask. Draw near your people and all the congregations that gather faithfully trusting in Jesus and sharing his word today. Bless those that are serving around the world. And Lord, we pray in the midst of times where the shadows seem long, Lord, we know that the day comes. The morning star is coming. And the dawn of eternity is near. Oh Lord, help us to be faithful. Steadfast, immovable. Help us to abound in the word of the Lord. In the work of the Lord as well. Be glorified now, we ask in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew 6. You turn there, brothers and sisters, our time in the Word today. Most of you know that we are in a, a series of messages talking about generous living as disciples. You see the theme is on the front of the bulletin, generous living as disciples. And that combines three qualities that we want to focus on as we approach Thanksgiving, if you're new to West Park or joining with us, a regular rhythm of our ministry here that approaching Thanksgiving, we want to be reminded of the importance of being generous people, people who have freely received so we should freely give. And so this series is combining these three qualities. First of all, living as disciples generosity, and joy. And those three go together. Quite frankly, friends, we need to think of them as the trinity of God's grace. <laughs> By God's grace and grace alone, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Amen. And by God's grace, we are able to be generous as His followers as Jesus himself was generous and we know that that is the way of joy the way of joy it is in joyful generosity as we follow the Lord as disciples that we really do experience the joy of the Lord <laughs> Now, we have Jesus' word on that. You don't have to take my word on that. You, we have Jesus' word on that. As a matter of fact, we have Jesus' words on that. Do you know who talked more about generosity than anyone else recorded in the Bible? Jesus Christ. It's always interested me that people say, you know, I don't want to listen to anybody talk about money. Well, that would mean you don't want to listen to Jesus very much <laughs> because he had a lot to say about it. He had a lot to say about it. And at the heart of this kingdom message, and that's what 
we are in the middle of in this passage, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is this Sermon on the Mount, as we call it. It's the heart of the kingdom message of Jesus, what his kingdom will be like and what his people in his kingdom are to be like. It's all contained here. And it is not surprising that in the midst of this kingdom message, Jesus has more to say about generosity than any other message he ever brings. It's been called the Sermon on the Mount. And someone has said you could also call this part of the passage the Sermon on the Amount. (laughs) It's Jesus on generosity. That's what this passage is about. Jesus on generosity. And as we approach Thanksgiving, as we approach our Jehovah Jireh offering, which we begin to receive next Sunday, receive it through the holidays as we normally do, It's a good time for us to be reminded of joyful generosity, which is what makes us glad, generous living as disciples. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the passage, and Joe led us in a consideration of the king on kingdom living. The king on kingdom living. And you'll see that is in verse 19 down through verse 21. And then today we're going to look at the master on master control. The master on master control. And that is verses 22 through 24. And Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to focus on this. The prince on financial peace. The king... The master, the prince. The king on kingdom investing. The master on master control. And the prince sharing about financial peace. The prince of peace sharing about peace of mind, financial peace. Now, if you turn here to Matthew chapter 6, let me tell you. Something came to my mind as I was... Going over this passage this week and preparing, a couple of years ago, there are a few of us who are elders that attended a weekend conference, and the conference was held at a church up in Washington, D.C. And uh, on Saturday evening, there was a session that had to do with on the topic of preaching. So all of us were uh, in attendance. I guess there were 150 or so in the room. And so the, the leader, who happened to be the senior pastor of the church, he said, everybody, he said, everybody stand up. Everyone stand up. So everyone stood up all over the room. And he said, let's find out who's preached the most sermons. And so he says, okay, if you've preached 10 or less, sit down. And there were a number sit down. It was like several seminary students were there, and they sat down. And then, as I recall, he said, okay, 25 or less. And more sat down. And they said a hundred or less, and quite a few more sat now. Then he jumped up, how many? Five hundred or less. Now there's just a few still standing. Then he said, how about a thousand? A thousand or less. Everybody sat down except two. And so he said to the 
one man who happened to be a pastor from Troy, Ohio. How many sermons have you preached? And he was trying to do the math. He said, I think about 2,700. And then he turned to yours truly (laughs) and said, how many have you preached? And I was trying to do the math. And I said, about (laughs) 6,000. And there was a gasp that went up. (laughs) 6,000. And the man asked me, 6,000? I said, yeah, (laughs) 6,000. And he said, are you an evangelist or something? I said, no, no, I'm not. I said, I'm I'm just a a pastor, but I've been, you know, 40 years in ministry and uh, 32 years at that time at the same church in multiple services as several times on Sunday and then during the week. And, and he, he actually came down and he said, well, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> and I said, well, everybody's looking at me. I, I, and I said, well, I'd say I really ought to be better than I am right now. I'm just not that good at it. You think after 6,000 times, you just do a little better. And so he, he brought me down two books to give. You know what? He gave me two wonderful books. I was glad to have them. You know what they were about? Preaching. <laughs> Appropriate. The rest of the conference, some of these young guys would come up and they'd touch me on the shoulder and say, you're such an inspiration today. <laughs> and you know how that translates? Old. You're old. You really are. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, with 6,000 plus sermons, let me tell you, you're going to repeat yourself now and then. Yeah. Someone as well said a sermon not worth preaching twice wasn't worth hearing once. <laughs> and I've preached this passage many times over the years. Many times. Because it is such an incredible passage. But it is a timeless, timeless passage. It won't be a timeless message. Trust me. Okay, it won't be timeless. But I want us to think about what Jesus says here in this context. He's the master and he's talking about being master controlled. He's the master He's talking about being mastered control when it comes to this area of generosity. Now, Jesus warns us in this passage, and it is a passage partly of warning. Jesus warns us about being possessed. Now, make sure I clarify that. I'm not talking about being demon possessed. I I believe the Bible is quite clear. You cannot be possessed of an evil spirit, and possessed of the Holy Spirit at the same time. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Christ is in us. And so I do not believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed. I believe a Christian can be demon-oppressed, but not possessed. But that's not the possession Jesus is warning us about. He's not warning us about being demon-possessed. He's warning us about being possessed by our possessions. And my friends, 
many followers of Jesus are not demon-possessed. They're not controlled by demons, but there are way too many who are possessed by their possessions. Followers of Jesus who believe that they own things, they possess things, but the living daily reality is the things own them. And the things control them. And Jesus says that is not to be his kingdom life. It's not what he wants us to experience. He's talking here, Jesus is warning about being mastered by materialism. Materialism means mastered by a desire for things. And this is not something that's just a danger for the rich. We need to put that out of our mind. Being controlled for a desire for things, to possess things, it, it has no knowledge of economic boundaries whatsoever. Just the contrary, I think that it can control people in any economic status. But Jesus says there's three dangers. There's three dangers, notice, that Jesus mentions here of materialism. He warns us that these will be deadly to our souls. These will deny us the abundant life that he wants us to have. These are the joy robbers. He warns us these things. Number one, Jesus tells us and warns us that materialism binds our hearts. Materialism binds our hearts. And Jesus says it this way. And we're reviewing now just some things from last week that Joe mentioned. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now it's important to notice here, very important, Jesus is not condemning wealth. The idea that Jesus is condemning wealth or he's condemning hard work that brings with it the fruit of the labors is not the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Some people who are totally devoted to Jesus have been blessed with the ability to make money. The Bible, in fact, encourages us we're actually encouraged many times, especially in Proverbs, to be people of thrift, people of saving, people who know the appropriate kind of provision for the future and for others. So the Bible and the Lord Jesus never condemns, never condemns wealth per se. So what is the issue we need to be talking about 
Well, it's a warning against what we are willing to sacrifice in the pursuit of wealth or the pursuit of things. You know, sometimes it's helpful just to define wealth. <laughs> kind of hard to define, isn't it? I mean, when are you really wealthy? And when are you really poor? And of course, it's very easy for us to think about that in American terminology, what we're told. But maybe we need to open our eyes a little bit about what it means to be rich. Did you know that if you make minimum wage in the United States, if you make minimum wage, you are in the 85th percentile of the world's income bracket. Only 15% of the people in the world make more than the American minimum wage. I read recently that if your household income is approximately $50,000 in American dollars, if your household income is approximately $50,000, you are in the top 1%. Only 1% 1 of the people in the world have an income that would be equivalent to $50,000 in America. Friends, we are incredibly blessed as a nation. We are incredibly blessed. And by the way, that blessing did not come through the route of socialism or communism. I'll just throw that in for free. It wasn't in my notes. I didn't say you had to agree with me. This is America. You still have the right to be wrong. Okay? <laughs> What Jesus warns, what he is warning here, what our commander commands us not to do is to not lay up treasures on earth. Do you see that in verse 19? He says, do not lay up. And that word means hoard up. Do not hoard up riches on earth. Why? Well, he says it's foolish, first of all. It's foolish to be involved in hoarding of stuff on earth. Why? Because it's unsafe and it's temporary. Whatever you hoard up, whether it be clothing, the moss can get to that. He says if you hoard up grain, agriculture, uh, the word rust here, you need to know, literally means eating. And so it doesn't mean generally rust, like, like we think of rusting of a, a, an object. It's an eating. It probably refers to rodents who will eat away your stored up grain. Well, you can put your money in clothing and the moss can get it. You can put it in grain, agricultural, and the rodents will get it. Or you can stack it up in coins and hide it, but... Guess what we found out almost about the safest treasuries ever constructed by man? The tombs of the pharaohs. <laughs> the thieves can break in and steal. And those thieves sometimes wear masks, though we all look like thieves now, don't we? <laughs> Isn't it the strangest thing you've ever seen in your world? You can't go in a bank without a mask on. Now think about that. <laughs> yeah, think about that. 
last year, you and a couple of your friends come in your friendly neighborhood bank with masks on. Oh, that would have been something to see. That wasn't in my notes either. <laughs> but Jesus advises this. Wise hoarding. There is a right kind of hoarding and there's a wrong kind of hoarding. Jesus said the wrong kind of hoarding is foolish hoarding. It's hoarding up treasures on earth. But he says the right kind of hoarding, which is wise hoarding, is in heaven because it is completely safe and it is eternal. The investment that you make there is completely safe because the moths don't get it in heaven. The rodents don't get it, and no thieves break in and steal. It's secure, and it's eternal. Recently, I was watching a video of, of some graduation speeches that were very impactful, and I saw one that was made by the actor Denzel Washington at a college graduation. It was a very, very powerful speech. And he was talking about the importance of living for the day. Take the day. And he said this in his message to those college graduates. He said, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. What's the truth? What's the truth there? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. But here's the other side of that truth. You can send it ahead. <laughs> you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead by a generous lifestyle, by generosity of your life to others, generosity of your life, not just your money, but your time and your opportunities for people to do those things in the name of the Lord that advance His kingdom and bless others. These are treasures, even to a cup of cold water offered in Jesus' name. He said, will not lose its reward. Oh, Jesus has an accounting system that's just out of this world. He, not, he knows it all about the treasures in heaven. What happens when you lay up your treasures in heaven? Why is this so important? When you lay up your treasures in heaven, then heaven becomes your treasure in your heart. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said this. Look at verse 21. He said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus expresses that as an axiom. That's just an axiom. What is that? That's a self-evident truth. That is absolutely true north on any compass. Where you put your treasure, your heart will be there also. And when your treasure is in heaven, and the treasure of all treasures is the Lord Jesus Christ, your King and your Savior, and when you truly believe you're going there, and you truly believe that your life matters forever. And you understand the importance of this little hyphen that you have between two numbers on your gravestone. When you understand that eternity is in your days, 
You will live your life on this earth with heaven in your heart. Your feet will be on the earth. You will not be, as some say, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Quite frankly, I've never met that person. I know I don't see him in the mirror. My friends, when you're heavenly minded, that's when you do the most earthly good. He's talking about focus. What does he mean? When your treasure is in heaven, your focus is in the things of God. That's what he's saying. Is that when your focus is on the things of God, your focus is on being involved with the kingdom of the Lord, and your focus is on advancing His love in others, in help, in generosity, any way you can, your heart will have heaven in it. This is what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's the reason some people are much more acquainted with their 401k than they are their Bibles. Because that's where the treasure is. Materialism binds our hearts. And Jesus wants us to have free hearts. He's the great emancipator, right? And he wants us not in bondage. Even the self-bondage of materialism. Second thing that materialism does, Jesus warns us about, is verses 22 and 23. Jesus warns us that materialism blinds our vision. It blinds our vision. It binds our hearts and it blinds our vision. Materialism is like gravity that keeps us earthbound. And materialism is also like spiritual cataracts that clouds our vision so that we do not see things for what they really are. Look at verse 22. Jesus said this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. It's been said that in America... We know the price of almost everything and the value of almost nothing. It's also been said of this consumerism culture in which we live and we literally breathe the atmosphere of this consumerism culture. Before we know it, we can begin doing this. We begin buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Materialism blinds us. It blinds us. And that's what the image here, it's... it's it's blindness. It's causing darkness. He says, notice, Jesus says, if the light within you, that is a, the source of light, your spirit, he's talking about. If your spirit is one of darkness, that is selfishness in the context here, how great is that darkness? 
I mean, when, when your spirit is supposed to be that which enlightens your life and your spirit has become dark with selfishness, then the lights are really out in your following of the Lord. You see, materialism blinds us, blinds us in a couple of ways. Number one, materialism blinds us to the value of life. Blinds us to the true glories of life. What are the true glories of life? The true glories of life are knowing God through Christ. Knowing God and seeing God in all things. When, when you're captured by materialism, you can't see the Creator because your mind is captured by the things of creation rather than the Creator in the creation. We see stuff rather than the reflection of our Father. I mean, I want to ask you, when's the last time you just stopped and gazed at the beauty of a sunset and worshipped the one who painted it. When's the last time you were just astounded over the glory of an autumn day? And to think, this is my Father's world. When's the last time you slowed down enough to smell a flower? And in that flower you sensed the fragrance of God. See, we get so busy making a living, we forget to live. You waste your life that way. We waste our life making a living when God never called us to make a living. He called us to live for Him. Jonathan Edwards, the great, great champion of the faith in colonial America, he wrote this as one of his first guiding principles. He said, I am determined while I live to truly live. <laughs> to live each day. Materialism blinds us to the value of life and it blinds us to the value of others. That's the greatest blindness. You see when it says here, if your, Jesus says, if your eye is bad or your eye is good, See, those are terminologies that have to do with generosity and envy. That's what he's meaning. When your eye is bad, that's an envious eye. <laughs> you, you envy what others have that you don't have. You're focused on what you don't have rather than what you do have. That's a bad eye. <laughs> What's the good eye? Well, good here is translated other places generous, a generous eye. You see life differently. You see that life's a gift. The things of the world are the gift. People around you are made in the image of God. What can you do to be a blessing to them? You see what a difference of life that is? Materialism produces, as I say, Spiritual cataracts. We have clouded vision. We don't see life the way we should. We don't see others the way we should. 
We don't invest in people. We invest in things. Which means we invest in ourselves. And never forget that. When your biggest concern is about stuff and giving to acquire stuff, that's really investing in ourselves. Let me tell you a sad fact about the average American and the average American Christian. It's been proven statistically. The more money they make, the less they give away. You know what the richest per capita state in the United States is? Connecticut. You know what the poorest per capita state in the United States is? Mississippi. Guess which state gives the least per capita giving? Connecticut. Guess which state gives the highest per capita giving as a portion of income? People of Mississippi. The average believer, the average professing believer in Jesus Christ gives between one and a half and two percent on average of their income to the work of the Lord. I think it's imagine, I think it's a hard thing to imagine to stand before the Lord with all that He's given us and given account of our entire life and to stand there knowing that we've taken 98 to 99% of everything that He's given to us and we've just invested it on ourselves. You say, well, Sam, you've got to take care of yourself. Therein is the problem. We'll come to that next week. The Lord will take care of you. He, he will take care of you. You say, well, a, a, a man's got to provide for his own. Exactly. Do you think God doesn't? Wow. Materialism binds our hearts, it blinds our vision. And then the third thing I want you to see quickly, and we're done. Jesus says, worst of all, this is the worst thing that materialism does. It betrays our Lord. It betrays our Lord. Jesus now gives another axiom. Remember, a self-evident truth. What was the first one? The first self-evident truth is verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that word heart. That is a self-evident truth. It cannot be controverted. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Here is the second axiom. The second self-evident truth. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the 
Aramaic word here Jesus used, no doubt, is mammon, mammon. King James just retained that in some of the older English translations. You cannot serve God in mammon. Mammon means this. It means to entrust. It means that to which a person trusts, that which you trust in. And so by derivation, it came to mean ultimately a, a synonym for money. And it is exactly this sense in which Jesus uses it here. He says, you cannot serve God and money. Now notice, Jesus did not say, it is difficult to serve God and money. He did not say that. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. He said it is impossible if the guiding principle and focus of your life is to make money, it is to acquire things, you can't live that way and live for God. It has to be one or the other. You cannot serve God and serve money. It is an impossibility. And so... What does materialism do? It betrays our Lord, our Heavenly Father, who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. It betrays our Heavenly Master, the Lord Jesus, who descended from Heaven's glory, humbled Himself to be born of a virgin, lived a life that we could never live, took that sinless life and died the death He did not deserve, but we deserved, suffered and endured the wrath of God for us, endured our hell on the cross, rose from the dead so that we would rise from the dead and have life eternal with Him. When we live for stuff, Selfishly, we betray the master who did that for us. That's what the Bible teaches. And we are live in a culture, our friends, that is soaked with consumerism. We breathe it. We see it. We taste it. And the enemy knows how to use it. And that flesh that we still possess, yes, we thank God for His Spirit. Amen. But we still have that old brain. And it just loves and drawn like a magnet towards stuff and things and control. It's the world, the flesh, the devil. We battle this. But we must be committed to winning the battle Because the Lord has won the war for us, right? He said it is finished. Our salvation is accomplished. Our eternity with Him is a decided fact. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you will never perish. Praise God. But now, we are citizens of heaven on earth. And our heaven needs to be in our hearts, and our hearts in heaven. And we keep that there by generosity. 
Oh, my friends, we want to open our hands in prayer. We want to open our hands in pleading. And then we want to live our lives with clenched fists. What would you think if you were trying to give someone a gift? In a few weeks, you're going to try to hand somebody a Christmas gift. And here's what they're going to do. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you might go ahead and just kind of drop it in. But it'll probably be the last gift they ever get from you. Why? No, no. If somebody's offering you a gift, do you receive it with clenched fists? No, you open your hands. What did Jesus say? Freely you have received, freely give. Live your life with open hands. Let, when you got clenched fists, you're denying yourself the blessing that the Lord wants to give you. And why are we afraid? We're afraid because we're still being infected by that lie of the enemy. The first lie, it's never changed. Satan's lie is still the same. It's still the same. God's not really good. Has God really said that? That's what he asked Adam and Eve. He's really not on your side. He really, really doesn't have your cause at heart. You can, yes, you, you adore him, but you just can't completely trust him. That's the lie of the enemy. How do we experience that it's a lie? By faith, letting the Lord show us that you freely offer What he's given to you. And isn't it interesting how we talk about our things? What did the Lord say? The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Whatever we have is the Lord's. He is the owner. We are managers. And friends, when managers start acting like owners, there's going to be problems in the shop. We're managers. And what a joy it is to open your hands and as God, by His Spirit, prompts you to give, you do that. And then you have the incredible joy of seeing God provide. He will provide. Jesus shares two Timeless principles, just write these down. How we handle material possessions reveals our true master. That's what he's saying. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. How we handle material possessions reveals our true master. And secondly, we cannot live for things and live for God. We cannot live for things. We can enjoy things. You know what the Bible says about our God in 1 Timothy chapter 6? It says, He richly gives us all things to enjoy. God's not stingy. God is not stingy. Friend, if God were going to hold back anything, what would he have held back? 
he had held back his son. But my friend, do you think the God of heaven who did not hold back his son for you is going to hold back anything else? Do you think the Lord doesn't know you have groceries? And some of you have teenagers at home. And you can't imagine that much food could be eaten in a week. And now they're going to college. How's that going to work? We think that the Lord who didn't spare his son to save us and make us his children is going to forget that we are his children? Not possible. Friends, God will make us glad. He will make us glad when we generously, generously share the resources that he's given us, our time, our abilities, yes, our financial resources, as we are generous people, we are expressing a generous God and we know the result of generosity and what is it? Joy. Now, Father, I pray that you will take this message I pray these words will find root, first of all, in my heart. I pray, O oh God, now that your word will go with power, applying it where it needs to be. Lord, I pray for deliverance now from the oppression of the enemy in materialism. There are people in this room, there are people in the hub, there are people watching now who are in bondage of materialism. I pray, Lord God, that you will bring a breakthrough and a release that is found in trust in you and experienced in generosity. Lord, I pray for those who are going through hard times right now. Those who've lost jobs, they've lost income. But Lord, let them know that they are loved by their Father in heaven and they're loved by God's people on earth. And I pray that those that are hurting and burdened financially, Lord, would turn to the people of this church, turn to the servant leaders of this church, that the grace of the Lord might flow to them, providing for their need. Lord, this is how the body works. This is how we experience you. So, Lord, I pray for those that are going through challenging financial times. Let them know you are Jehovah Jireh. You will provide. And it is the joy of the people of God to extend that provision in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray most of all for those who are not set free through salvation, Lord, I pray that they'll understand what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose in the end their soul. Oh, Lord, 
I pray you'll open eyes for the immeasurable, unspeakable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom knowing and serving nothing on this earth can be compared. I pray you work in power now. Lord, you've made us glad. And may we truly sing to you in worship now. In Jesus' name, amen.